welcome to Speaking of Wounds, a podcast by the Wound Care Learning Network. I'm Kira Fedishin, Associate Digital Editor for Wound Care, and we're happy to have you listening today. Just as a reminder, this podcast is intended as an informational tool for medical professionals and is not intended to diagnose or treat any medical conditions. We're joined today by Dr. Jonathan Johnson, Founder and Surgical Director of Comprehensive Wound Care Services in the D.C. area. He'll be speaking with us about the challenges of diagnosing and preventing pressure injuries, particularly in darker skin patients, as well as sharing some thoughts on future advances in wound care. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Johnson. Could you start off by introducing yourself to our listeners? First of all, I am super excited to work with the Speaking on Wounds podcast. I think this would be super awesome uh, to be able to connect with all of my colleagues out there, be able to connect with uh, you know, folks that are potentially interested in getting into the field of wounds. I'm Dr. Jonathan Johnson. I am the president and founder of Comprehensive Wound Care Services. We are based in the Washington, D.C. area. We focus on taking care of patients uh, in our office uh, at uh, large hospital systems, as well as long-term care. And one of my missions uh, is making sure that we take care of all groups of people and all types of patients, specifically some of our patients that have skin of color, and how to clinically diagnose, treat, and manage those patients in any place of setting. So uh, we have, uh, you know, our group has really worked to make sure that we take care of all types of patients um, in all places of settings and specifically looking at those changes in uh, skin of color. Great. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Um, yes. Why don't we start off by talking a bit about the history of pressure injury in darker skin patients? So do you have some kind of stats for us on that? So the history uh, is always, you know, when you're looking at the different type of stats and you're looking at uh, diagnosing and treating patients in all facets, it's always subjective to whoever is uh, obtaining the stats. So if you're not looking at issues in patients of skin of color, obviously your stats are going to be skewed a little bit. But one thing we do, do know is that diagnosing, treating, and taking care of patients uh, that do have wounds and are of skin of color uh, have uh, less um, you know, percentages of healing rates. They have less percentages of diagnostic um, uh, uh, treatment than uh, majority skin. And, you know, that's one thing we definitely want to focus on. And that's one thing we want to make sure that we are adequately assessing patients that may not look like us. Uh, And I remember, uh, you know, back in medical school and back in undergrad and even throughout my training, uh, looking at some of the periodicals and our lessons and, and, and some of the textbooks that we used to train on, it was rare that you did see patients that were examples of different clinical diagnoses uh, uh, that had skin of color. Uh, and as I progressed in the field of wound care, uh, I, I, I tended to see some of those patients that did have skin of color and had chronic wounds that were undertreated uh, and needed to be managed uh, more effectively. So um, to to go back and answer your question, uh, statistics unfortunately do show that uh, the diagnosis, treatment and management in patients that have chronic wounds and are of skin of color is less 
than uh, the majority skin uh, that we see in our clinical uh, practices. Yeah, for sure. And I think you brought up a great point too that we definitely know to be true, which is that in past research and past years, a lot of the times the sample groups were not, you know, very diverse samples of patients. And as a result, we just didn't get that information about what diagnostics and treatment looked like across all of those patient groups, which is obviously a big problem. And it's something that we're recognizing now. And I think there's still a lot of work to be done there. Correct. Correct. hundred percent. And when we say, when we say skin of color, Kara, a lot of what we're also speaking of is, you know, Hispanic individuals, mm -hmm. uh, Asian individuals, Indian Asian individuals, um, you know, sometimes of sometimes it's uh, darker skinned Eastern Europeans, not just Africans and African Americans, which I think sometimes everyone mind, everyone's mind automatically goes to, oh, these are African American patients that we're we are not clinically treating and managing. But remember, skin of color is any Fitzpatrick that's almost over a Fitzpatrick too. And we can talk about the different Fitzpatrick scales. I'm sure everyone is pretty well versed on, you know, your Fitzpatrick one and your two and your three, your four and your five, um, and how each one of those scales uh, is important to understand when you're clinically treating wounds. But it encompasses a large racial group and background, not just what we see here in the United States. Uh, in, you know, rural Pennsylvania, right? I mean, you know, because some areas of the country have one type of racial demographic or another type of racial demographic. And I think when we hear skin of color, we think of only one type of racial demographic, but anything with the FP or Fitzpatrick over one or two can be considered skin of color. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's something we're seeing you know, on the editorial side in medical journals, when we are looking at research coming in, something that we are considering now is, you know, are these researchers providing that demographic information on their patient groups, you know, when we're deciding if something is good quality research to publish, whereas I don't think that was maybe a big factor in the past, but I think we're seeing it across even like AMA guidelines and things like that. We're starting to consider, is that something that is a need to have now when we're looking at research? hundred percent. I mean, number one research, it's, it's very, very important because if we don't have uh, strong clinical documentation and research on patients that have skin of color, obviously funding can change and access to healthcare can change and you know, just in general, treatment managements can change. Uh, so we need to make sure that they are inclusive in our, you know, textbooks and in our educational material, et cetera. But also, and that's a great point, that we need to start from the student standpoint to make sure students understand that there's a wide variety of skin color that needs to be assessed, you know, and this is not just from a wound care standpoint, think dermatologic think, you know, just general, um, you know, uh, some type of some type of uh, cardiovascular and, and, and just general healthcare in general, uh, it's important to understand that there are different, uh, you know, races and demographics that also need to have the same type of, quote unquote, microscopic uh, clinical review to make sure you're treating each one of those comorbidities adequately, not just dermatologic and wound care. So what I'm saying as I ramble on here is that 
Um, you know, we need to start in medical school. We need to start in almost, you know, uh, you know, pre-med classes and show those images because they're very, very important that we understand um, the differences and, and some things from a clinical standpoint can be missed because of their skin of color, number one. And number two, that, you know, those students start young and as they grow, they can start to see different changes or, and they can start to recognize uh, that it's not just the majority skin of color that they are uh, assessing and, and, and learning and, and teaching and treating. Yep, absolutely. And I think as we, we're probably going to talk about this here as we narrow in on like pressure injury specifically, but you know, in some of these cases, it's not just a matter of are these indicators harder to see on darker skin tones, but it's actually understanding that on different skin tones, some of those indicators that you might be looking for in a pressure or injury just are not present in the same way and you need different diagnostic tools. Correct. Correct. hundred percent. I mean, so besides just the educational piece, you know, there are specific uh, management resources. Um, you know, we're looking at uh, fluorescent imaging and how important is that in assessing a chronic wound to see the amount of devitalized tissue or bacterial load that may, we may not be able to recognize and see with our clinical visualization. Um, now, what does that mean? If you know you walk into the room and you're in long-term care and you're and you're assessing a patient that has a venous stasis ulcer, bilateral lower extremity, and you, you know you clinically evaluate the wound and you see the wound, you know in a patient that's a Fitzpatrick one that has lighter skin, you can see the changes in erythema, right? You can see the changes in induration at times. You can see that there's a bacterial load that's at that wound site. Now, if that same patient, same demographic, same age, except for uh, a darker skin tone, Fitzpatrick, you know, three, four, um, you know, they have that exact same wound, you may not be able to clinically visualize those changes which indicate infection and which indicate issues with an increased amount of vital burden and devitalized tissue at the wound site, which then tells you we need to clinically manage that. Um, so the most important thing is that not only do we need to visualize these wounds and understand that there's different changes with skin of color, but use our diagnostic resources that we have in our toolbox in order to assess them more accurately. And again, that would be your fluorescent imaging, which is very important to look at, which kind of tells you if you can see those changes of bile burden and biofilm at the wound site. And then other diagnostic measures as well. I mean, you know, applications out there that may be effective in uh, helping us to see, uh, you know, those changes in the wounds in patients that do have uh, increased skin of, you know, color. Uh, infrared, uh, you know, some of the infrared changes these days uh, that I think are coming on the market as well, or, or could be on the market currently. But you know, the bottom line is that besides just our visual clinical assessment, there are resources that we need to utilize. And I think from a research standpoint and just a general clinical standpoint, we need to start utilizing them, uh, doing more research on them, and also making sure that they are prominent because we're, you know, saving in healthcare. We're saving cost. We're saving, uh, you know, issues with CMS and, 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 and payers, et cetera. And we're improving the lifespan, obviously, of our patients at the same time. 
Yeah, that's wonderful. Um, can you speak a little bit about maybe some places of service where these pressure injuries in darker skin patients are noted? So I think, uh, great question. So I think from a, just a general standpoint, um, you know, obviously you're going to see patients uh, that have darker skin of color in multiple different places of services, right? This is your hospital. This is your wound care clinics. These are your private physician office. These are your long-term cares, sometimes in assisted living, sometimes in independent living, sometimes in home health. So it's important to understand how to treat these specific patients in all places of service, but specifically in areas, uh, and just I would say from our personal clinical experience and my personal clinical experience would be long-term care because um, you have the ability to see volume in long-term care. Now, what does that mean? You can, uh, you know, be in a long-term care setting and see, you know, 40 to 30 patients in a day in one or two floors. So it gives you the ability to assess, treat, and improve chronic wounds in those places of service, as opposed to, you know, home health, where you can see maybe five or six patients in a day, depending on your driving and the time that you have to spend, et cetera. The same thing for your office. I mean, you know, you can own, there's only a certain amount of time in a day and, you know, you can see 10 patients in a day in your, in your office, uh, you know, and, and assess them, treat them, et cetera. But I think to go back to the original question, I think long-term care, just because of the volume that you can assess, treat, uh, and manage, uh, is more proficient, obviously in long-term care. So, um, you know, the number one thing is assessment. The number two thing is a team approach, right? You need a strong team that recognizes and understands how to diagnose, treat, and manage chronic wounds in all co all colors, all skin, all um, skin of colors, uh, or in all uh, skin tones, <laughs> whether it's Fitzpatrick one or Fitzpatrick, you know, three through. Uh, the top. Um, so you need a team that can do that, you know, essentially. And, you know, you want to have your diagnostic team that can see the patient, treat the patient, etc. So um, I would say long term care, but all places of service, we need to be very cognizant of those patients, how to treat them and recognize that, you know, the clinical indications of infections and, uh, you know, non progressive chronic wounds are different in skin of color as opposed to majority skin. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that really speaks to how important it is that this information and training be put into place across, you know, such a large, a different groups of providers, because it's not just going to be doctors in medical school, it's the nurses in the long term care facilities who are interacting right. with patients day in day out and the home health care nurses, and anyone else who's, you know, on the ground actually looking at patients who should have some background at least to know when they need to use different tools to make sure they have the right preventative measures in place. Correct, correct. And that's a great point. Uh, it's a team approach, uh, as we both alluded to, and it's uh, understanding and paying attention to detail. And you know, self-learning and continuing to educate yourself as a provider, no matter what level you are at, uh, that, you know, you want to make sure you can diagnose and treat wounds and understand skin changes in patients that may not look like you. 
And I think that's the number one thing to take away from number one, the podcast, but also some of our clinical research that we've done out there, specifically with the fluorescent uh, imaging and understanding how to treat patients that have skin of color is that uh, educate yourself and continue to understand that, um, you know, there are changes in the wound of patients whose skin does not look like yours. Mm -hmm. um, were there any specific like stories or examples you wanted to share on this? So, you know, one of the great things about, uh, you know, working in different places of service and, and truly servicing your patients, because I mean, that's what we do here as providers uh, is that we service patients. Um, you know, I remember some of my mentors in uh, throughout my healthcare training would always tell me, you're a high paid waiter, period. That's, that's essentially what a provider is. You're taking care of your patients. Um, so there's always stories, uh, but specifically one I can remember about long-term care uh, and, you know, understanding that when a patient comes in on that initial presentation to really do thorough skin sweeps. And um, I remember one story where it was a VIP patient that was coming into one of our facilities and the diagnostic team had kind of missed uh, a DTI that was located at the sacral area and a small DTI that was on the heel, which sometimes can be missed specifically if your Fitzpatrick is a four or five. And it was a quote unquote VIP patient, but obviously every single patient is important. Uh, and I remember walking in because, you know, we assess all of our patients and the family was in the room and the family said, uh, I think there are skin changes on the bottom and on the heel because the family was taking care of the patient. And it got to the point where the patient's overall condition was declining. So they, they needed further resources like a long-term care unit. And so, you know, the family's in the room, we do a skin sweep again, and we actually do find that there's DTI, not only in the sacral region, but also in the bilateral buttocks and the heel as well. And this had developed over a 48 hour time span. And the team had, you know, the, the uh, initiating team or the team that had, you know, in that, that took the patient in intake team did a great job of assessing the skin. But the point is, is that over those 24 hours in the long-term care, the patient had developed further DTIs. So the moral of the story obviously is to continue to assess your patient, not just at the initial intake. Uh, um, you know, you don't wanna just wait another week and say, hey, we saw the patient, um, we took care of them, we did a skin sweep. And we'll wait till the provider comes in in the next couple of days, or we'll wait till, you know, there's a clinical assessment by the primary care doc in a week. You want to continue, do your two to three hour turning precautions. Every two to three hours need to be turning and reassessing the patient and, and be vigilant in patients that are of color, right? Because again, back to the story, you know, those DTIs, uh, quote unquote, popped up or originated very quickly based on the initial assessment. So anyway, the moral of the story is that, you know, we spoke with the family. Uh, the family was very appreciative of, of the care and it was a great outcome. We were able to, you know, reduce the amount of DTIs and everything cleared and, and, uh, and healed very well. Unfortunately, the patient transitioned 
uh, about three or four weeks after that. But uh, we did take care of the patient uh, very effectively. Family was very appreciative. Uh, but there's many stories like this. And sometimes, you know, specific facilities may not have the resources to really assess these patients every two to three hours. But it's important to continue to do that, and especially in patients with skin of color. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's also a great reminder of, you know, how fast some of those changes can happen that can be easily missed because unfortunately not all patients are going to have that family or support system. They're looking out for them that closely. So in that case, I think that patient was really fortunate and hopefully that's a good reminder for providers that, you know, they have to be that vigilant for those people who don't have someone else looking out for them. 100%, 100%. And that's the that's the most important thing, because again, we are here in a service environment, right? We are here to service our patients. And it's a team approach again. Uh, and you just want to be vigilant, self-educate yourself, stay up on some of the resources that can help you work with patients uh, that may not look like you or may not have the same type of skin tone. And I think if we continue to do that and continue to have these conversations uh, I think we're on the right track, not only to help wounds heal, but to reduce costs, to reduce issues with uh, accreditation and, uh, you know, quality control in some of these facilities that we also service. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, why don't we back it out a bit and just start talking a bit about wound care in general? Is there anything going on in the field right now that you're particularly excited about? I am super excited about uh, the healing rates in a lot of our patients. We have seen um, great healing rates in some of our patients utilizing uh, our ultra-miss ultrasound. In some of our long-term care patients, we've seen excellent results. And, uh, you know, this type of resource is very effective in patients that may have issues with bedside debridement, sharp debridement that may have pain. And utilizing the ultramist ultrasound helps us to remove some of that devitalized tissue more aggressively than just using a topical agent. Uh, but it's not as painful to the patient uh, as using sharp debridement. So we we have seen um, you know some improvement in the wound's tissue composition. We've seen improvement in the size of the wound, and we've seen improvement in the patient's overall, um, you know, mental health too. We're also working uh, with some cellular and tissue regeneration uh, based products, and we've seen excellent, excellent healing rates in a lot of our patients that have pressure ulcers. And typically a lot of the literature these days, as I'm sure you're pretty well versed on, focuses on using some of the cellular tissue products in lower extremity wounds or in venous and, and, and diabetic wounds. But we have seen uh, some great healing rates and some great healing numbers in pressure ulcers using tissue regeneration and using cellular tissue products. Uh, and we're really excited about utilizing those two resources in the long-term care setting uh, because typically these patients are not exposed to these type of wound care healing resources. Uh, and, you know, as you know, wound care is almost like a wait and see type of clinical specialty, right? We wait and see. Let's try this. If it doesn't work, let's try something else. 
Let's start with the protocol A. If protocol A does not work, let's go to protocol B. If protocol B does not work, let's go to protocol C. So, you know, we're excited that we have seen, you know, healing rates uh, and we have seen improvement in the wound using these two type of resources. Number one, our ultramist uh, therapy treatments, as well as our cellular tissue regeneration products. But what I'm really excited about, to be perfectly honest, and I love podcasts because, you know, we should be able to speak freely and, and really educate our colleagues and, and listen to different topics and make it fun, right? We don't want to sit here and, you know, talk, uh, you know, about uh, numbers all the time and, hey, did, you know, let, let's make it fun. Let's, let's make it something that people really like to listen to. So I think um, to wrap, you know, to wrap up what I'm saying, um, the, the patient's overall mental attitude when the wound begins to heal in the long-term care space, I don't think that there is a better uh, feeling when patients appreciate uh, their wound getting better. I mean, think about it. If you've had a wound for two or three years and you've been, you know, you have musculoskeletal immobility issues or, you know, you're at times you're bed bound where you're only up and out of the bed, you know, two to three hours a day period. And a lot of that is because of a wound which causes pain. And then all of a sudden you're seeing changes in those wounds. You're, you feel freer. You feel mentally strong. You feel like you're actually moving forward in a positive measure. And this really changes your mental attitude. Yeah, you know, absolutely. You, you know, you want to get out more. You you want to you want to communicate and and have fun with some of the folks that are in your specific place of service. You want to communicate with your family. You know, hopefully you like your family, right? <laughs> so you know that, that that's one of the that's one of the major uh, changes to answer your question. One, the ultrasound mist therapy is what we have been really utilizing and seeing great results, and also some of the cellular tissue products. Uh, and we've been focusing on utilizing these in pressure ulcers and long-term care facilities, which typically don't get a chance to see those type of uh, wound care advanced resources. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's fantastic. And absolutely, I'm going to be keeping my eye out for some research in those areas because you're right, mm -hmm. we often don't see those applications in things like pressure injuries specifically. So mm -hmm. it's really great to start, you know, seeing more of that in the literature and just echoing what you're saying, you know, seeing some things like that be effective for patients who haven't had good results in the past. It's an amazing change in quality of life for them beyond just not being in pain anymore. So Correct. Wonderful. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And again, um, just to reiterate the majority of these wounds uh, that are treated with these type of advanced treatment resources are lower extremity. So I mean, you know, and I think a lot of patients have issues with having pressure ulcers on their bottoms or having pressure ulcers on their lumbar or thoracic spine. And it's like you're kind of laying there, <clears throat> excuse me, or you're sitting there and you're thinking to yourself, I know something's on my back. And, you know, I, I feel like there's an issue there, but I don't kind of want to see it. You know, when you look at your leg, you can lift your leg up. Hopefully you can see the wound. So it's in your mind and you think about it healing, but when you cannot see it and you feel like you're laying on it, you almost want to forget about it, right? Yeah, it's, it's scary to feel like something might be wrong and you don't know what it is. And once you know, you can't go back. So a hundred percent, ignore it and just hope it goes away. A hundred percent. And then, you know, you, you continue, you continually 
are told by the nurses or, or whoever's managing the wound, hey, we're just going to try this treatment. And then there's actually a device and a management resource that you feel is working. It just changes your whole mental attitude. Well, that is absolutely wonderful to hear. Is there anything else you wanted to add before we wrap it up today? No, I think, again, I am super excited about the podcast. I really think that in order for us to make wound care sexy, right, I think podcasts and more of uh, quick diagnostic videos for the general public and for some of our colleagues is key because, you know, I think we, you know, wound care kind of gets that, oh, I don't know about that type thought, you know, it gets that type of thought process from people that, you know, are in the field of medicine that are looking for a career and for people that are non-medical, like how can you even, how can you eat dinner and see a stage four <laughs> pressure ulcer with slough, right? right? But I think if we, if we utilize some of these media platforms to introduce the general public to the fact that we're healing wounds, number one, we're decreasing the cost burden of wounds in healthcare, number two, and we can actually make some of these treatments fun, right, informative, and progressive. So, you know, I'm excited about where we're going in the future. Uh, I think one thing that wound care is really poised to do in the future is AI, <laughs> and I think uh, you know, we're, we're kind of working on a project now that will be able to kind of assess a wound and automatically set up a treatment regimen that uh, will be utilized by healthcare providers and uh, the patients to help them start a progressive treatment course before it's too late. Because I think one of the major issues we tend to see is a patient says, oh, I have a wound. I don't want to look at it. Mm -hmm. But they can take a picture and it gives a rendering, it gives a measurement, and then there's an automatic treatment protocol that the patient can follow that the provider backs up and also recommends, I think we're in the right direction. So AI is poised to move in that direction. I'm sure you've heard about the chat GBT and how, you know, it's going to eliminate a billion jobs by 2030 or something like that. I think it, be, it can be very beneficial in our specific field because we are also a visual specialty that can see the wound, understand what the wound looks like, uh, and then recommend a management course. So uh, to leave it at that, I think those are some of the progressive future-based, um, you know, um, uh, technology platforms that wound care can really take advantage of. And um, I'll be actually speaking a little bit about this at SAWC. Looking forward to that moving on in the future. But uh, again, thank you for the opportunity. Uh, and I look forward to doing another one of these with you guys very, very soon. That wraps up our discussion for today. But for more information on today's topic, we invite you to check out all the resources available online at the Wound Care Learning Network. Thank you for joining us and enjoy the rest of your day.